0: Hi, I'm the Self-Development Coach, Johnny Lawrence, and welcome to the Self-Development Podcast.
1: The, The way I see it is those early childhood experiences that are overwhelming. It's like that part of us freezes in time, that younger vulnerable part, and then these characters come in to try and keep it safe. So some people become people pleasers to protect their inner child. Some people become overachievers. And for me, I think it was that overachiever was the way that I kind of hid what I was really feeling, hid the part of me that felt like he wasn't enough. Like I'll become a tough martial arts guy. I was a cage fighter when I was 18, 19. And that was my way of saying, you're not going to get near the vulnerable part of me. Time and time again, the people I work with say the same thing to me.
0: You have to meet Pat Deville. You're both so aligned in your beliefs, your approaches, similar outlooks, and I'd love to listen to you on a podcast. Well, <laughs> today <laughs> I have the pleasure of speaking with the incredible Pat DeVille. Um, Pat, has been involved in the wellness space for over 15 years now. He started in the fitness industry before moving into mental, emotional, and relational wellness. He hosts the popular podcast, the Pat DeVille podcast, and is the author of the number one bestseller, Fit Mind. Pat also frequently delivers workshops, online programs, and retreats designed to support emotional healing, connection,
1: and authentic living. How are you today, Pat? I'm really well man that's nice to hear that there's a there's a desire for us to come together and chat so yeah happy to get to do this
0: uh mate honestly i i i really you know i admire you if i'm honest i think that your story is powerful i think the the way that you speak is really impactful and i think you speak sense um you know there's this weird thing out there this this masculinity that men have to be a certain way and it's being challenged definitely Mm. but is it (laughs) because Mm. sometimes i think people say stuff but actually they don't actually practice it but you are one of those people who are leading by example and i admire that i really do
1: thank you that means a lot yeah thank you
0: no is this true it's all true i i I actually um went to your website for the first time the other day um and uh saw that little documentary that you've got on there (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. that's that's a really nice documentary How, how old is that
1: uh, belief and belonging. I think that's, uh, pre pandemic just before mm. the pandemic. I think that was filmed. Yeah. It was ni- it was a nice little project. Um, yeah, it was cool. Yeah. yeah for for, uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah. You.
0: I, I mean, I just, I, I, that's, that's partly part of the admiration really. It comes from, um, your honesty, you mm. know, cause there's some stuff in there that a lot of men wouldn't admit to feeling, you know, and I think that and one of the questions i are going to ask later is about getting honest with yourself. Because I think that sometimes for men, that's the barrier. It's that difference between how we feel we should show up and how we actually want to show up in the world. And mm-hmm. is that little space in between is terrifying, it's dark, it's unknown, it's unpredictable. And understandably, <laughs> men want to stay the hell away from that. <laughs> you yeah. know, because that's where all the tears are, that's where all the shame are, that's where all the insecurities are. And that's difficult. That's very, very difficult. But I'm skipping a beat here, so um, let's let's start with, um, for those people that might not have come across you yet, could you just tell people a bit about yourself and your journey so far?
1: Yeah, um, as you mentioned, I started out in the fitness industry. So um, you, growing up, I, I struggled a little bit uh, with bullying and feeling... Um, like an outsider, I suppose I was quite sensitive and, and, uh, that didn't uh, land too well with others. And so I had a lot of insecurity growing up kind of sense of like not being enough uh, not being of any value, all this kind of stuff. And a lot of that drove, um, an overachiever in me, I suppose, in my teens, I started practicing martial arts. I started weight training and I found confidence for the first time. And so that led me to Pursuing fitness as a profession. Um, I failed with my first business pretty miserably up in Dublin. Uh, I lived there for a little while and just couldn't get my feet off the ground with the business there. And I came back to my hometown of Galway at 24 with a great deal of shame, um, having to move back in with my parents. And I mean, in retrospect, I say, geez, you're only 24, it's not a big deal. But at the time, that kind of overachiever that wanted to be somebody really felt like i'd failed because everyone told me there's no industry in ireland for fitness and you're not going to make a profession from this and i was adamant i was and here i was going back uh, having failed but i started again um on my local beach here in galway uh with outdoor fitness classes just to kind of have something to do and i was working in a pizza restaurant then on the side and something happened where i i guess you know sharing my struggles and and sharing my unique way of teaching fitness. Um, the classes grew very quickly and my life completely changed. Um, in a year I had 500 clients in, in, inside of four years, 20,000 clients through online training courses and a lot changed. Uh, I wrote books in training and nutrition. I, I built a gym or built, not built a gym, but I, I owned a gym. Um, uh, but funnily when I got to 28, I had kind of ticked all the boxes that I was convinced would make me happy. So. I bought a house and a car. I met a great girlfriend, amazing friends and family, and I still was struggling. Um, uh, I was moving very fast in my twenties. And I think part of that was like high functioning anxiety, not wanting to slow down and acknowledge what I was struggling with. And so kind of overnight, I walked away from the fitness side of things and I tried to figure myself out a bit and studied meditation and breath work and, um, cognitive behavioral therapy, logotherapy, Jungian therapy, every type of, of therapy under the sun. And the last eight years has been more about sharing what I'm learning, um, in the mental space, the emotional space, the relational space, through story, through personal examples. Um, and, and. Yeah, I think what I realized as I've gotten older is that, you know, when I was young, it was obvious that physical fitness, we need to do things consistently to develop our capacity, but with mental and emotional wellness, I'd always kind of assumed you're either a happy person or you're not. And I, I thought it was kind of the roll of the dice. Um, but I've learned over time that we're all going to have struggles. We're all going to have challenges. We can't control 99% of things out there, but what we can control is, you know, how we look after ourselves and the things that we do to hopefully nurture kind of a, a an empowering mindset so yeah my passion now is, is is mental emotional and relational wellness
0: oh man there's so much there that i'm curious about <laughs> this is what i meant <laughs> about never being able to stay to the 45 minutes <laughs> um i'm just curious like where do you think that very early year insecurity came from what what was it
1: hmm um You know, I believe that the first seven years of our life really are the blueprint of how we see ourselves and how we see the world. So is that interesting example sometimes shared that if you've got two sons that grow up with an alcoholic father, one might make the association that that's just the norm. And so they become an alcoholic too. I'm I'm just like my father. And then the other might never have a drink in his life. And you ask him why he doesn't drink and he'll say, I don't want to be like my father. So I think how we perceive our early childhood experiences really can shape how we show up and i think the bullying and feeling left out sort of made me feel like i'm not an i'm not enough i'm not of value um, i'm not good at team sports uh, i'm not one of the lads and and a lot of that drove kind of this sense of the, the way i see it is those early childhood experiences that are overwhelming it's like that part of us freezes in time Mm -hmm. um, that younger vulnerable part. And then these characters come in to try and keep it safe. So some people become people pleasers, um, to protect their inner child. Some people become overachievers. And, um, for me, I think it was that overachiever was the way that I kind of hid what I was really feeling, hid the part of me that felt like he wasn't enough. Like I'll become a tough martial arts guy. I was a cage fighter when I was 18, 19. And that was my way of saying, you're not going to get near the vulnerable part of me. Mm -hmm. Um, so driven by you know, I think we, we internalize the external voices. So the inner critic that most of us have has come from somewhere. Maybe it's a father figure, maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's a bully from growing up. We take that voice that's out there and we put it in our own mind. And um, that was the case for me. It sounded like it would have been really easy to collect evidence
0: of why he wasn't good enough. You know, um, with all of the bullying and stuff, it's just that relentless, consistent confirmation of what your deepest, darkest thoughts are already, you know, mm. um, what would you say to that? Do you think that's somewhere near it?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think so. I, I mean, yeah. I think for us all, right. You know, like, um, a lot of people, you meet them on the street and you'll ask, what do you want? And they'll say, I want to be successful or I want to be happy. But when you ask what is success or what is happiness, they don't really have a gauge and so how can you hit a target that you don't have a sense of? So probably similar, like it's an interesting one uh, to, to say, I'm, you know, the common belief I'm not enough. Mm-hmm. And to ask someone, how would you know you were enough? Mm-hmm. It can kind of stop us in our tracks. It's like, yeah. I was actually on a retreat recently and they had us play with our negative belief and try to keep it really light and almost laugh at your belief. So like my belief was I'm not enough. And yeah. and I was like, I had this weird thing where I was like, maybe I'm not enough. And that I was just kind of laughing. I was saying, it's not really a big deal to not mm-hmm. be enough.
0: Yeah, not enough for <laughs> what? And that that's that's another question, isn't it? I mean, just to say, uh, you know, I, I think I know why it resonated with you so much because I was in the fitness industry for 15 years. Yeah. Um, I, I turned to professional wrestling and um, amateur wrestling and shoot wrestling because um, I was angry. I, I went through some pretty physical abuse as a kid, some domestic violence, some torture, and uh, that shaped my belief system as a kid. Um, I grew up with that very strong feeling of I'm not enough, and it still rises his head. One of the victories I've had, if you want to call it that, is that I now realize that my job is not to dispel that belief, it's to work with it because mm. it's not going anywhere. <laughs> it's not going anywhere. As soon as I move up to, if you want to call it the next level, I'm not a great fan of that type of language. But, you know, when I put by myself in a situation where I'm out of my comfort zone, back it comes again, back it comes again. And early on, I used to think, oh, I failed. I'm, I'm, I'm still that guy. I'm still that guy. And I'm like, what if I'm always that guy? But what if I'm always that guy? And when I was a kid, I was convinced by my surroundings that I was a weak and fearful person. I was scared all the time. But then I realized that actually, in order to be um, brave, you have to first be scared. (laughs) So I continuously find myself in situations that scare me, which give me the opportunity to be brave. And then we go around in this cycle. And I think for me, I've accepted that. I've accepted that that's probably the way I'm going to move forward and I'm going to stop trying to predict the future. I, I still do though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I still do. It's a, it's a habit.
1: <laughs> I think I think you're pointing to something really um really useful and interesting that certainly for me over the last couple of years has been and i think it's coming out more in the therapy worlds with internal family systems and these things there's this idea that you know we might think of ourselves as this person here um but in reality we're many different parts so you have a fearful part you have a courageous part you've a motivated part you have a lazy part and almost compartmentalizing ourselves we can understand ourselves more because again the part of me that doesn't feel enough how old is that part i'm 35 now but that part of me that doesn't feel enough doesn't feel 35 they feel no. five or six or seven so it's it's a nice way of kind of um yeah communicating with ourselves and yeah. just to share just to share i didn't realize the professional wrestling link um it, uh, the that the, my escapism as a child was professional wrestling i just loved it i was obsessed and i carried that into my teens And I remember contacting a wrestling school in the UK when I was 15. And I said, I want to be a wrestler, but I got to finish school first. What can I do between now and then to, you know, be ready for wrestling school? And they said, start doing judo and lift weights. So get strong and learn how to fall. And I went back to school the next day. And on the notice board, the law of attraction, I see judo classes are starting. And so I started, started judo and it completely changed my life. It took me to America to be a cage fighter at 18 that introduced me to my first fitness mentor, my fitness mentor got me. So it's amazing how these kind of threads, I guess, can, can carry us in life.
0: That's, um, real, um, and, and actually, uh, that's quite, that's hit me actually. Cause, um, that's when I was, when I was young, there was, I could say a lot of violence and my escapism was wrestling. Um, Mm. I fell in love with the characters, the music, the commentating, all of it, just the storylines, the lot, And you know when I was uh say 16 years old maybe you no, know, it was a bit sooner than that but I went down to Kent and wrestled with the MWA UK and
1: that's, uh that's who I contacted <laughs> yeah I
0: thought I thought you'd say that uh, <laughs> under a guy named Andre but but then a little while later um Fergal Debit I don't know if you come into hmm. him yeah he uh he started a um a wrestling school over in uh, Ireland I wanted did you ever go there?
1: You know, what? I was due to go. I convinced my, it took me months and months and months to convince my father to take me. And then my grandmother yeah. passed away the weekend. I was due to go. So it never happened, but, uh, oh. but things, they, things worked out as they were supposed to, but yeah. I have, a, que- well, I have a, que- a question for you actually, um, who were the wrestlers? And there's reason I asked this, uh, who were the wrestlers that you most uh, connected with uh, when you were younger? Uh,
0: when I was younger, um hmm, Shawn Michaels um Hart. um who else was there mr perfect (laughs) it's got got to be some psychology in that isn't it i was gonna say i was gonna say (laughs) what
1: what what is the common thread in the in the characters you liked what did you see in them that you confidence confidence yeah
0: yeah confidence um self-assurity success um that attitude of just going after it you know like Mm -hmm. nothing's going to stop you because ironically none of those were classically big men in a big mm. man sport, they were all somebody. And they, I mean, they're big men to me. They were massive guys. But, um, you know, in a sport where everyone was six foot five plus, they wasn't. Sure. Um, but they never let it stop them, you know. And that's been my attitude my whole life. Like, I refuse to believe, I absolutely refuse to believe that if somebody else can do something that I can't do it to. You know, I just don't, it doesn't mean I will, (laughs) but I I refuse to believe it. I will try it. I will try it. And I will try. And the only way I think of failure is if you quit, you know, because I genuinely believe I'm not just saying as a cliche, I believe that you can't fail unless you quit because things are there. I've had so many situations in my life where I've, if I had labeled it failure at the time, I would have quit. But then years later, I come back and I just, I have a little laughing moment with myself like, oh, that's why that happened. I needed that. That was the only way I was going to learn that lesson so that I could move forward. You know, it's mm-hmm. like that, you know, you say to your kid or whatever, don't touch the flame. It's hot. They don't know what that means. They touch the flame. They know what it means then. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. they tend to not touch it again, you know, yeah. but um, Going back to what you said about like multiple personalities in your mind um, or multiple aspects of yourself is probably a better way to frame it. Um, I I often look at it like a committee, like there's lots of different parts of yourself, like your your self-belief, your self-confidence, your self-esteem, all of these different areas of yourself, including your self-respect. And I think what a lot of people can be guilty of, and this is only an analogy, is self-respect gets disrespected. Um, mm. And if you think that, all of those, all of those parts of ourselves, uh, and many, many more as a committee, or a meeting room, and they're all there. And there's one person just getting told to shut up, don't talk, we're not listening to you. How would that play out in real life? It, it would it'd be chaos, it would be really, really bad. But yet we seem to do it to ourselves. We tell ourselves, um, we disrespect our self-respect who and we get angry because with that self-respect most likely is trying to highlight boundaries it's trying to say hey listen this this person's crossing this boundary it doesn't have to be a big one it could just be a small one but those small ones turn to big ones tend tend to anyway mm. um how do you feel about that idea or am i mad
1: <laughs> no it is super interesting yeah um it's, it's really a trap. I've kind of noticed this in my own life, uh, this fear of my own power or or fear, a fear of it's, it's a very Irish thing. I'm sure it's global, but it's, it's, I definitely feel it in Ireland, this kind of sense of like, don't get above your station. Don't be too much. Don't be, you know, just kind of get on with it, keep your head down, you know, be, and so, you know, oftentimes as you like the self-respect thing, It's funny. I was talking to a friend recently and he was telling me that he set down, you know, he's working with a therapist and he set a boundary for the first time. And he went to his therapist and he said, Oh, I really over, you know, I really, I went full on with the boundary and I really, I was, you know, I, I kind of flipped from the nice guy to the opposite and the therapist said, Oh, tell me what that looked like. And the therapist said that, that doesn't sound like you flipped to the opposite at all. That sounds like you said a healthy kind of, you know, you just spoke up for yourself. And I think when we're used to kind of playing small, not, you know, and keeping ourselves small and kind of appeasing people and people pleasing and not listening to that sign of self-respect, the idea of, we can confuse, maybe we can think we're being cocky almost Mm. when we're, when we're just owning it a bit more. So I, I definitely think there's something there, but ultimately it all comes down to the fear of disconnection. Like the, I've thought about this a lot, like these boundaries that I want to set, but my fear around saying what's true for me is that what if the other person leaves, what if they reject me. What if they abandon me? What's that going to mean about me? Um, that's typically, and it's something I ask people sometimes to like fill in the blank. How am I afraid I will be judged if I set this boundary or how am I afraid I'll be judged if I demonstrate more self-respect or confidence in my life. And again, usually there's some material to work with in that. Yeah.
0: That's what I mean. It's never ending, is it? You know, (laughs) and I, I, I think that's it though. You, what you, hit the nail on the head there it's we mistake that difference in our behavior for being wrong we label it we we apply meaning to it when we when we're just doing it for the first time it's like me you and me going to do something new you've done it loads of times and i'm doing it for the first time and i do it once and i say oh i'm rubbish at it well of course i am i've just done it (laughs) i've never done it before and it's like when we try these new behaviors we're most likely not going to be very good at them but Mm. we jump straight to that labeling of, Hey, that must mean that I'm never going to be good at it. And that's not what that means. I don't think, you know, (laughs) you might, you might never be good at it, but at that point you can't rightly say, can you? I don't think.
1: There's a mantra that I live by and it's probably similar to what you've talked about there in terms of this belief that I can do anything. Uh, Mm. I I always say I can do anything, but not everything. Like that's one thing. So the importance of Mm. focus, but the other one is I become what I practice. So um, if I practice being anxious and, and I don't kind of try to step out of that. I'm going to become anxious. If I practice a uh, cam, like a lot of us want to be calm, but what is our practice for cam? So, you know, uh, I want to practice being social. I want to be, you know, I was terrified of public speaking. That was my biggest fear in life. And now it's my professions that obviously was a practice. Um, so yeah, I think was talking to someone about this yesterday, actually, we were talking about jujitsu, which is a, a big passion of mine. And we were saying how inspiring it is to see guys in their fifties and sixties coming in and training for the first time mm. and, and just having the humility to say, I'm going to try this thing that's completely outside my comfort zone. And for me, at least the most inspiring people in life are the people that are willing to be a beginner again, to, to, to fail, you know, and reinvent themselves and all that. But when it comes to ourselves. I think it's, it's terrifying, you know, sometimes change, like I'm comfortable with jujitsu. I'm comfortable with talk, public speaking, something like dance, you know, is, is, is edgy for me. And, and there's lots of things that are edgy for me, but again, yeah. if I was willing to lean into it, I'm sure I could, you know, yeah. my two left feet.
0: I, 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 I went to the Latterjee festival recently and I was, I was talking there and, uh, I walked through the Zen area and there was all of these people and they were just dancing, but they were dancing wild. It was just like they, were, they had their eyes closed and they were touching themselves and all this stuff. And I walked past and I had this judgment of like, what, they're that, that ridiculous, what are they doing? And then I stopped myself and I thought, interesting, why are you thinking that? And then I come to the conclusion that I was, I was envious mm. because I wish that I could just let go like that and just be like that. But I, I have not practiced that you know, mm. and I, and I sort of said it and I sort of said it in this, in the speech that I delivered. And then one lady stood up and said, I want to see you dancing later. I'll tell you what, I can count quick enough. <laughs> I was like, right, going home then, bye. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And it's, it's funny. Uh, there's, there's this idea of, uh, you know, our shadow and we, we see mm. in other people what we haven't accepted in ourselves and th- th- they'll say, um, am I informed or am I disturbed by something? So. If you're to walk past and say, Oh, there's a bunch of people dancing, you're informed by that. But to have that kind of reaction as you as you noted yourself, you're like, Oh, maybe there's something in this for me. Yeah. Uh,
0: Cause I'm not usually like that. Like I'm I'm quite open-minded and accepting of of many things. Um, even things that, you know, like I once had a really, really interesting conversation with a racist. Um, he we were in a public setting where aggression wasn't an option for him. And I just, I didn't, I don't want to use the word challenge, but I was curious about his his beliefs, what led him to believe that all people from a certain race were a certain way. And, you know, he came up with some compelling answers and we had a little debate around it. And actually when we left, I dare say, we had some sort of respect between us both, which is interesting because I could have very easily jumped to a different conclusion, much like he could have. So <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, it is interesting curiosity. I mean, um, I was going to you know part of your your power in the world I think is is your honesty and your story so I'm curious about what's one of the most challenging things that you've ever experienced would you say
1: Um, I think you know my when I went to Dublin that time at 22 to to try and launch this business and I say launch a business. I mean, I wanted to teach fitness classes in a park. That was the business. Um, but I was struggling with finding my feet in Dublin and, and, uh, borrowing money from anyone I could, cause I didn't want to come home and, uh, using a lot of drink at the time, like to numb myself and and distract myself from, from, and I reached a point where I was suicidal and I went to the, the docks, uh, in the middle of the night and, and kind of stared in the water and thought, you know, I don't know if I want to keep going. I was, I I had so much energy in my body. I walked around the city for hours and then sat at the docks and, you know, that was definitely, uh, one of the more challenging time periods in my life. And um, yeah, that's the one that jumps out probably is the most like intense, you, you know, just the, the, the real sense of lo- like completely lost in life, you know, and mm-hmm. I completely isolated and, you know, I think. Suicide is linked to a shame, like and shame is linked to a kind of hiding, like there's something wrong with me. Like I'm different to everyone else. Other people don't experience this, this real isolation. And that was really what I felt. I was like, I'm the only person in the world, you know, with a bit of perspective, of course I can look and I say, again, you're in your twenties, you're figuring it out you, you can be in your thirties, forties, fifties, figuring it out. But when you're in it. Uh, it can feel very isolating. And I think partnered with that, that was like early days of social media. And I was putting out this image that things were going well. So that I think that's important too, is like when there's a disconnect between how you really are feeling and how you're really living versus what you're portraying, the yeah. bigger, the, the bigger, the disconnect, the further you feel from yourself, um, or at least the further I feel from myself. So,
0: yeah, there's like a shame of hypocrisy, isn't there? Like, um, I've been guilty of that in the past when I used to put it out there, I was mr fitness and i had a very quiet background alcohol problem like that was mm. massively out of control many times i would uh be in the gym and training people and it, it strangely enough never impacted my job but i'd feel terrible and i was there giving all this energy and i'd walk away feeling very fraudulent um you know no one ever complained thankfully but it's just uh, i am authentic i am very moralistic so to me i always felt like i was just lying (laughs) you know i was living a lie but i mean what what made that so difficult then was it what what if you could name it what would it what would have been the thing that made that experience so hard
1: isolation i think that sense of i'm the only one in the world because i had gone you know, I asked you earlier about the, the, the wrestlers you liked and stuff. And I, I think for me, when I think back, there was, uh, Jeff Hardy is the one that kind of stood out to me and I was reflecting on, yeah. I, I was on a young Ian podcast once, and they asked me about who I admired growing up and who I didn't like, and they kind of played, it showed me how that played out my life. So, and I, I, Jeff Hardy was a wrestler who was kind of, he was kind of cool, but he was different and he was on the yeah. edge and he did things his own way. And I, I think I've always kind of carried that with me that I want to do things my way and, um, when I left school, there was this, I'm going to do this fitness thing. And everyone around me said, you can't make money in Ireland from fitness. You can't, you can't put food on the table and said, no, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to make it happen. And the closest people in my life were telling me, no, my best friends were telling me, no, my parents were telling me, no, there's nobody supporting me. It was completely on my own with this thing, but there was this dream. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to make it. And then when it wasn't happening and I was broke and I was using alcohol to numb myself like and. And I was having to face the the reality of going back with my tail between my legs and saying, dad, can I, can I move back into the house? It didn't work. It was that, it was that kind of ultimate defeat, I think. And the isolation of you were all right. And I was wrong. Who was I to think I could chase my dream? You you were, you know, I think that was it.
0: Isn't that interesting though? Cause they wasn't ultimately right. Were they, that is a good example of labeling something too early or applying mm-hmm. meaning to something too early. Cause a little bit later on, you made it a huge success.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. Know,
0: you know, and, and, and I wonder, would you have made it a huge success? If that, if that event hadn't happened?
1: Well, you know, I, I people ask me since like, what was the. Difference when you came back home, like what, what changed? And, and one of the things was you know, my dad, my dad was always like his ultimate uh, concern was that I am secure in life and you know, which I really appreciate. Um, and he said, Oh, why don't you study physiotherapy? You could like still work in an area that's similar to fitness, but you, you might have more job prospects. And so I thought, Oh okay, maybe good idea. So I applied to go back to college to study physiotherapy and I got accepted and it was like the light at the end of the tunnel. Okay. My, uh, and then they contacted me they said, we don't have enough people for the course. We're going to defer for a year. So you've lost your place. And my heart sank and I said, okay, I'm going to study anatomy for the year, just so I can catch up. Cause I don't, I'm not very good at that stuff. And I'll start teaching a few fitness classes to get the money to go to college. And so I started teaching these classes just as a means of making some money for thing, for, for, for college, not thinking I was going to, you know, use that as a profession. And then three months later, I've got a hundred people a day coming to train. And it was like, but the, but the biggest thing that changed was when I was in Dublin, I wanted to be jump from A to Z. Like I'm starting and I want to be the celebrity trainer up here. Who's got all the clients. When I came back to Galway, I started from nothing. And I had five people on my first morning and that I was over the moon and I said, okay, now I want to get six. Now I want to get seven. And now I want to get eight. And if you like, like we've talked about, if you keep doing it, if you keep working for long enough, that's something, it will get bigger and bigger and bigger. So rather than A to Z, it became about, how do I go from A to B and how do I go from B to C and how do I go from C to D? And do that consistently enough for ten years, and and any area of your life is going to be very different.
0: Yeah, there's a there's a story I heard once about somebody saying, you know, uh, they go into a dark dark forest and they can't see anywhere. And they say, "Well, can you see with part in front of you?" He said, "Yeah." He said, "Well, just step there." You know, and it's just about taking that next step whenever you can. Just keep taking that next step. It's the same with your headlights on your car when you're driving down a dark lane and mm. you know, you don't know if there's a tree falling up ahead, but you just have faith, don't you? You just keep looking in front of you and reacting to what's in front of you instead of trying to perceive what's ahead of you mm. all the time, you know. Um, that's a wonderful story, you know, that really is. That's a wonderful story. And and yeah, that's why I admire you, man. You just there, and we really, we are very similar. <laughs> I I sort of like thinking of my feet here because I'm I'm yeah. taken aback by like I I had to go home as well, um, feeling like I failed. But um, you know, one of the things I I hear in that is something that I've been through myself too. Is it sounded like you were trying to be a PT in a certain way that just didn't mm-hmm. align with you at all. And you mm. kept trying, you'd seen a model of it and you were trying to emulate it. You were like, this is how it looks. This is how it looks. And then when you went back, you just did it your way because you're taking that pressure off. You know what I mean? You're taking that pressure off yourself and you was like, well, I'm not trying to do that anymore. That didn't work. That's not going to work. And then look what happened. You know, there's there's got to be a nice eloquent way of, of putting that into a quote for Instagram. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, you, you, know, you know what was funny was, so I start these classes on the beach. They start going well. Uh, word starts traveling outside of Galway and, and I got a, a role on the TV to do like 10 weeks on national TV, the fitness expert each week. And cause this thing got big quick and I was still the insecure guy that now had, you know, I thought getting successful is going to make me feel more secure, but really it just put a magnifying glass on my insecurities. It made me feel like, Oh, now there's just more people that are going to see that I'm a, a, whatever I am, but I would go every week to the telly and we'd record the fitness segment and people would send in questions and the presenters would say okay pat there's a question here about how to get a six pack and every week i would self-abandon and i would lose that authenticity and i'd think i need to be the fitness guy and i'd be looking up what do fitness people wear you know when they're on the telly and i was dressing up the way i thought fitness so i definitely lost that at times and you know in my head i thought well there's no easy way to get a six pack but i can't say that because they want the soundbite answer and I'd. Every week, I'd drive home from the telly, and I'd, I'd, I'd say, "Oh fuck, I can let myself down again." Um, so, so. Wow, that's really powerful.
0: Yep. Yeah, that's yep. so powerful because that's—I think a lot of people do that. I think people do that um, with their businesses. And I, I was talking to somebody the other week about Instagram and Instagram growth, and they were saying the problem is people can't really be themselves on Instagram anymore because it doesn't—it's not supported by the algorithm, mm. so people have to play to the algorithm in order to get to a certain place to be able to be themselves.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mad. (laughs) And
0: I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. (laughs) I'd rather just have no followers than than, than play that game. I thought I've done that before and it, and I end up in a bad place when I do that, you know, I don't drink anymore because And I tell people I'm just, I'm just not very good at it. I did it really badly. (laughs) You know, I'm drinking to the early hours of the night, at the sacrifice of everything. So um, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to put myself in a place where I have to sacrifice my integrity, my morals anymore. Uh, And that means that sometimes there'll be opportunities I miss out on. And I think I'm grateful for what I have is the Mm. truth, you know, Mm. and just to, tie that up, you know, that, that, what that terrible experience, what do you think you ultimately learned from that?
1: Hmm. Pro- you know, probably the, what you mentioned uh, about the kind of, um, the, there's that fable uh, that's shared sometimes about the, oh God, I often, I often try and share it and I mess it up. Uh, the farmer, that has a bunch of horses. Have you heard this story? I think Chinese farmer with the horses.
0: Is it the Taoist farmer?
1: What's it? Is it what is it?
0: Is it the Taoist farmer? Is that? Is yes, that the yes, 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 yes. Yes, 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 yes,
1: yes. Yeah. Yeah. So ultimately Go. for any, for anyone who hasn't heard, it's uh, this man has a farm and he's got a bunch of horses. And one day the the gate gets left open and he, one of the wild horses disappear. No, he is. Does he have two horses and he wakes up one day and one of the horses is gone. Is, or two of the horses are gone. I'm gonna make it up. The story as we go, <laughs> I love
0: it. Personally. <laughs>
1: and his neighbor, his neighbor comes around. And he says, Oh, it's terrible. You know, how, how sad, how bad. And the farmer says not, nah, you know, we don't know if it's good or bad. And the next day, the, the two horses come back and now they've got a, a, a bunch of wild horses that have come with them. So now he's got like 12 horses and the neighbor comes around. And he says, Oh, how amazing. And the farmer says, ah, we don't know if it's good or bad. And then the next day, the son is out feeding the horses and he gets kicked by one of the horses and breaks his leg. And uh, neighbor comes around. Oh, how how sad, how bad? And he goes, we don't know if it's good or bad. And next day, uh, the military come and they say, right, we're taking all the well, uh, well, uh, healthy men to come to war. And the son has the broken leg, so he can't go to war. And the neighbor comes around and he says, oh, how 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 good how. And the the moral of the story, of course, is in isolation. I always think about like if you zoom in on a picture, like zoom in really close on a picture, you're going to see this little speck of color. And it doesn't have much context, but when you zoom out and there's beauty in it. So I think that's what I learned from that experience was no matter how good things get, or no matter how bad things get, it's just an experience. And it's a part of a bigger picture. Um, and if you can hold that and, you know, see rejection as redirection and see, think- you know, the, these kind of things, um, you know, yeah, life is a collection of days and, and, you know, not to get hung up on how things are today, you, everything can change overnight, you know?
0: yeah and like some of those experiences you know you had an experience that was so powerful that you were sat at the docks mm. with dark thoughts and intentions mm. but yet without that experience would you be the man you are today
1: um interesting. We, well you know uh, before before that those couple of months of my life i was uh, i was the regular personal trainer talking about sit-ups and broccoli and after that experience, I was a very different personal trainer talking about community and, you know, writing down what you're proud of. And um, so, yeah, it definitely changed. You know, we can only teach what we've embodied, I suppose. And that, you know, we have to go to these dark places sometimes to understand what it is to be in a dark place. And yeah,
0: I think one of the similarities we probably share, correct me if I'm wrong, is that when I was a PT, I had a lot of success with clients, but. One day when I was 40 years old, I was sat on a hammock that I got for my 40th birthday in my garden. And I was reading, I was have been having this feeling and I always reflect on my birthday. I've been having this feeling that I'd been denying myself that I didn't want to be in the fitness industry anymore. But I'd put so many years into it, right? So I couldn't just walk away from it. And I I had a successful business. I was making money. I was, I was doing well. Why would I walk away from it? I could hear all the voices in my head. Hmm. And I looked for all of my uh, reviews, testimonials. And something struck me is that I'd helped all these people lose weight, get in shape, change themselves in it. But not one of them mentioned weight loss, diet, exercise. They all mentioned Johnny helped me change his life. And I was like, I don't know if I'm a PT. And it sounds like you was the same. It sounds like that. I believe sometimes that people come, you know, I remember somebody, many, many people, generally women, and I would ask them, what makes you want to make this change? And they would say, I hate the way I look. And I'd go, that's interesting. Cause I don't know whether I hate myself is going to be a great motivator when it gets hard.
1: Because
0: mm. it's not, is it? You know, when the when the girls call and they say, hey, it's time for cocktails, it's time for cake, and you've got to resist it or make a plan to have a bit of fun, but not too much fun. I hate myself's not going to stand up as the massive <laughs> motivator ever. So to me, I was just like, I don't, I I don't like doing this anymore. I, I don't necessarily agree that this person that's coming to me thinking that all their problems will be solved when they lose weight or they look a certain way when it's not, this is a symptom of something else. You know, this is a symptom of how they feel, you know, mm. and then what's mm. making them feel like that is, well, that's a psychologist or a counselor at that point. <laughs> but, but, but now I, I can, I can help with that. And I feel like um sometimes I look back and I think, Oh, did I waste all that time? You know, did I waste all that time? Should I have just done psychology from the beginning? But, you never know the answers to that you drove yourself mad right yeah Uh, yeah. but did you did when you stepped away from fitness was that was that part of the reason why do you think
1: um i it was twofold um yeah it was a couple of things one was i i felt out of integrity myself i was a little Mm. bit uh i was telling all my clients to chase their goals and chase their dreams and it had just become a bit boring to me and i'd become a bit numb to it like we had eight hundred clients a month at times online and people were coming, Wow, I've lost this much weight. And it just meant nothing to me anymore to hear, you know, that cause it was the same I just knew like the system's gonna work if you work the system kind of thing. So I was a bit disconnected from it. Um I was burnt out, I think I was, you know, running around the country doing talks and and and, and running the gym and running the online business and having staff, which was something I never wanted to have. Um so, and then the other side, I think because it grew up and it was my passion and it was my lifeline for so long fitness, uh, when it became my work and I was living in the gym all the time, it kind of helped, you know, I say it, so it kind of pulled me away from, it was like, Oh God, I don't know if I love this anymore. I want a separate space, which ironically was what brought me back to martial arts 10 years after stopping. Cause I needed somewhere that I could go and kind of tick that box. But, um, you know, there's, um, it's a, maybe a little bit out there for some people, but there's this idea of, you know, people think about life purpose, like what is my life purpose? And, and sometimes people think it's going to fall on their lap or, or people think that maybe, Oh, he knows his purpose. He's lucky or she knows their purpose. Um, and I always believe that purpose is about leaning into whatever's calling you at that time. But nice. the harder, the harder piece of it is that at some point that's going to run its course and then you need to step away. So for me, the fitness thing i had just done the late late show in ireland which is the biggest tv show in ireland so the fitness thing was at its absolute peak and i just knew i don't want to do this anymore so gave the gym to my friend i said you know it's yours now and i walked into the unknown and that was me stepping closer to the purpose piece and you know three years later people say, oh wow it's so cool you're doing the speaking stuff you know it's amazing to see i spent i had spent those three years feeling last feeling like not last, but feeling like, Oh God, maybe I should have stayed in fitness because it's easier to tell someone I'll help you get a six pack than it is to say, I'm going to coach you, or I'm going to help you with. So, um, but I, I, for me, that's what life is about. It's like, once you've done your piece, same as relationship. I think like if you're in a relationship and you, you know, you, you don't just stay because I've invested three years in it. So I need to stay in it. If it's not working, assume same, what works and that, and that requires massive courage that requires yeah. uh, massive discomfort and, um, and support systems and everything else, but that, at least that's how I'm choosing to live. Not that it's right or it's wrong, but that's my choice too.
0: Yeah. And I think there's something coaching is a beautiful industry because and I felt free when I became a coach. Um, when I was in the fitness business, I remember I'd hear people at barbecues over the summer and they'd be like, oh, now I've hired this trainer. I'm going to have a six pack next year. And it's like straight away, they're taking away the accountability. You know, this trainer is going to make this happen. And I've always been of the belief that, you know, you can't change anybody else. You cannot do it. You can't do it. They're the only one that can do it. You can support, you can encourage, you can mm. guide at times, you can offer mm. education, you can offer tips, you can offer perspective, never advice, <laughs> um, but you know, you can't change them. And I think for me, the freedom in coaching is knowing that I know nothing and that I I'm not I've not got the answers for somebody else I don't have them I'm a really good listener and I've had a lot of experiences um and a lot of education and I believe that when education meets experience it creates wisdom so I've got mm. some perspective to offer and it can be helpful and I've guided and supported people but I've never got the answer never mm. got the answer and with fitness it was like right how do you get a six-pack and you like you just said you nailed it you're like <sighs> that's a really i used to get that asked at kids parties i'd be at uh, my kids parties with my kids and some some lady come over and go oh you're the fitness guy right it's like johnny (laughs) and and it'd be like um how'd you get a six pack and i'm like um well six packs got a lot to do with diet oh no my diet's fine i'm like right and i just knew then i was like okay (laughs) i don't want to
1: hear it do the, you're the fitness guy is funny. I, a couple of years ago, I was, I was going deep in trauma work. So I was doing physical trauma release work. I was doing Gabor Mate's compassionate inquiry work. I was doing all these different trauma courses and I went to Portugal for two months and, uh, I was working from there and I was, uh, I found a kind of a Facebook group for all the people that were into yoga and stuff like that. And I said, look, I'm going to be here for two months. Uh, I'm doing case studies around trauma work, so I'm doing a bunch of free trauma work. If anyone wants, you know, to, to do a session, I'll be here for two months, and I'd love to do work with you. The next day, I walk into a local coffee shop, and this woman does a beeline across the coffee shop. She goes, "You're the trauma guy." <laughs> I was just like, "Oh, jeez. <laughs> so, wow. I look yeah. around, like. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Portugal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're the trauma guy. Wow. You're like, okay. <laughs> I'm gonna shift gears a little bit. Um life can be messy and complicated and unpredictable and overwhelming and all that good stuff that we've already spoken about. But there's so much messaging out there that claims to be trying to help people with their mental health. Mm. However, (laughs) mental health challenges are at their highest recorded with 21% of adults experiencing at least one mental illness. What intervention support or messaging would you like to see out there like globally, nationally, whatever, locally, locally, to encourage change in this area?
1: Oh, it's difficult because it's a big systemic um, challenge. Um, Two pieces that I think are really important. One is community. So um, Mm. having community where people can share, they can be heard, they can be acknowledged. Um, a lot of mental health issues, I think are due to under expression. So not being able to express myself, express my joy, express my sadness, express my authenticity. If I have to hide all those parts of me, it's gonna have an effect on my mental health. Um, so that's one piece is creating spaces where people can lean in more to a little bit of who they are without shame or without judgment. Um, I think therapists and coaching and everything else is great of course it's like what i do for work i think the limitation with that is you're working one-to-one with someone whereas i think being in a group is 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 even more powerful because you've got 20 people mirroring back that oh it's safe to be who you are you can be Mm -hmm. yourself so that's one side and i think the other side that needs to and it's coming more and more into the the mainstream is the idea of the mind-body connection so the role of the nervous system in mental health so effectively you know, put really simply, um, we've got three States. We can feel safe and connected as we hopefully do now myself and yourself here. We're, we're socially engaged. We feel comfortable, relaxed, uh, if stress comes into our environment, we'll probably shift into fight or flight. So our focus will change. We'll be less social. We'll be more, uh, looking around us for the threats and, and in a different energy. And if we spend too long in that fight or flight energy, we'll eventually burn out and we'll find ourselves in a freeze energy. Um, So a lot of people are stuck in that fight or flight energy, that constant state of stress. And so that's that stops things like our capacity to be present, our capacity to be social, our capacity to feel safe, our capacity to access our uh, rational mind. So effectively, what I'm saying is mental health, we can think about as, okay, mental health must be about the mind. In reality, I think mental health is more affected by what's happening in the nervous system. If my body perceives that I'm in a state of threat or stress, I can't access positive thinking because why would it be positive when I'm in a state of stress? So I think we need to start coming into the body and creating safety in the body, deep breaths, feeling my feet on the ground, feeling safe within my environment, taking out the hyperstimulation. And um, just creating that sense of ease. It's like when you do maybe a yoga nidra class or a meditation, your world looks different after the few minutes because you can access your rational mind again. Um, so, those two pieces, I think, the mind body connection and the community aspects. And that right there is why the universe pushed us towards exercise first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But I put it, you know, I put, a, you know, I put people in this way you know, we, again, we talk about mental health. We talk about depression, anxiety, these different states. Those are physical states, they're they're happening in the body. And so, you know, if I'm in work and my boss shouts at me, I'm gonna have a physical response to that. I'll have anger come up in my system or fear. And that'll be a collection of sensations in my body running around the place. There'll be a hormonal dump happening within my body. And that wants to be expressed. If that mm. if I if I if I pure expression, I'd hit my boss or I'd run away or I'd shout or I'd scream, but of course it's not appropriate. And so I sit there and all that sits in my system. Mm. And so as you say, exercise allows me to move some of that energy. Shouting into a pillow allows me to move some of that energy. Doing deep yeah. breath work allows me to move into that energy. So having a body-based approach to dealing with this two there's two sides, right? The mental side is challenging my thoughts and doing the cognitive work and the coaching and stuff, and then the body-based stuff is you know, clearing out my system, if you will, of all those old blockages and, and kind of tensions. Uh, have you ever heard this stinging
0: nettle analogy? What's the analogy? Uh, sting, stinging nettle. Have I don't know. I had this analogy once. Um, I don't know if it's true. I've never tried it. <laughs> but they say that when you're stung by a stinging nettle, the antidote to the sting is within the leaf. But no one's brave enough to scrunch up the thing that stung them. And what I love about the two things that you've just said in answer to that question, community and mind and body, is that they all, they all point inwards. They all point to the fact that, and the analogy for me is that the answers to the, 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 answers, the solutions to the challenges or issues you're facing are always found within, but with, we're convinced to look without or outside of us. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying there is you go to community, and the reason you go to community is because it's reflected back to you, it's okay to be you. Yeah. It's okay to speak your mind. It's okay to feel this way. Matter of fact, I felt that way, you know, which is resonant and empathy. And then mm-hmm. you're saying mind and body, they're yours. <laughs> they're your mind, they're your body. They work together. They're sending messages. I often say emotions are messages yeah. Um, and we don't listen. You do yeah. listen to them. You know, we just ignore and we tell ourselves, oh, that can't be right because so-and-so said it isn't. Or, you know, like uh, anger is a message. It's telling you a boundaries been crossed. It's giving it's you okay. the energy to put it back in place. But you're going, nope, I'm just going to swallow that. And then I wonder why I'm ha- going about to commit murder in the supermarket because someone nicked my space.
1: <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. It's like,
0: yeah, that's why.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, of course, the West, we like prioritize the mind so much and we're taught from a young age to be in the mind. So... Uh, as soon as, before we even realize it, anger is happening in my body and I'm in my head trying to micromanage that or trying to like defend against that or whatever it might be. So, you know, going back to what we talked about earlier, that overachiever character or the people pleaser character, these characters, these are all efforts to run away from the sensations in the body because I don't want to be with the sadness. I don't want to be with the anger. I don't want to listen to those parts Mm -hmm. because that feels edgy or vulnerable. And so I'll just act out these unconscious patterns. yeah. So I think a lot of these things we've heard about for years, uh, meditation, yoga, all these things that we know are good for us. It's, I think it's useful for me at least to have an understanding as to why. So like, mm. um, that's, that's, yeah, that makes a difference for me, the context
0: yeah I, I i always say it and um, i think my son's got it from me as well is i always have to overstand stuff instead of understand it <laughs> i like that i, like I that. was that annoying kid that would ask why to the teacher just tell me to shut up <laughs> i like that over
1: overstand I like
0: yeah I, I like to overstand stuff you know because uh I, and i do i ask questions and people go why do you need to know that I, say, I don't know i just do you know i need to have a full picture and understand it i suppose it probably makes me feel quite safe and secure feeling like i know stuff or i know all about it i know I know where all the traps are <laughs> you know because uh, you know as a kid I was encouraged to be hyper vigilant you know so mm. that never goes away and actually I've learned to make that a superpower you know now when I sit with clients I, I see it all you know it's not just the words they're saying it's the words they're not saying the tone of their voice the pauses the the way they're shifting you know and if I'm with them in in person it might be the way they smell or the the, the you know the, their skin are glistening if it means they're sweating or whatever you know all of that it's all information to me. Uh, and I'm sure you you have the same <laughs> the same approach. But um, do you feel there's a difference between mental and emotional health?
1: Mm. Yeah, I think there's different ways you could look at it. But you know, sometimes we'll talk about a top-down approach or a bottom-up approach. So top-down is my mind affects how I feel. So my thoughts affect my feelings. So kind of cognitive behavioral base. So when I feel or when I have a thought that I'm not enough the feeling in my body is shame um mm-hmm. so that's top down my mind is affecting my body and that's mostly what psychology has moved toward over the last couple of decades i think the root of the word psychology is is the study of the soul but it kind of followed the medical model and went more into diagnoses and and putting things in neat boxes and stuff over the last couple of decades so it's all about the mind and it kind of parks the body parks environment parks social it, it decompartmentalizes a lot of things So that's, that's the mental side. My mind affects my body. The, the, the emotional side for me is my, my body affects my mind. So kind of what we talked Mm -hmm. about there, that if there's tension in my body, my world looks different to when there's relaxation in my body. If there's anxiety and fear around my heart space, my partner looks different to how they do when I feel safe and relaxed. So I can't outthink that. I've got to come into the body and ease the tension. Just you know pro- progressive muscle, muscle relaxations, body scans, yoga nidra, all these different tools. So that would be the difference for me is 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 um the uh the mental side is more I guess therapeutic in a way. It's like I can go back to my past and I can figure out where my stories come from, how it's influenced how I see the world. I can do all this cognitive work that helps me to see. But for me in my own life that had a limitation where you know, at 28 on paper, from a mental standpoint, everything in my life looked good. Like I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be. And I don't like, I have everything I thought I ever wanted, like cognitively, it all made sense. But in my body, I was completely overwhelmed. So I kept neglecting my body and the anxiety that I was feeling from moving too fast in life. And I kept, as you say, ignoring the messengers in, in, in the emotions and going to my head. So I think that's the blend is can I work with the mind and my, my difficult thoughts, but can I also come into the body and, um, yeah, I think, you know, if people are doing cognitive, one way of thinking about it, I think with, with a skilled therapist, if, if you go to a skilled therapist, they'll teach you how to create safety in your body. Because I could sit with a therapist for an hour and work on all my challenges that I'm experiencing at home but if i don't know how to soothe when i get home i'm going to go back into that hypervigilant state and i'm going to lose access to all that wisdom that i gained or the knowledge i gained in the session
0: yeah you are absolutely right and i think you hit upon such a fundamental point and that is the the way that psychology is defined now as you know the soul work and now we we're, we're sort of basing it all on science and i think that's because human beings have a tendency to want things to make sense yeah. But the thing about emotions is that there is no sense. There is no <laughs> logic. Emotions just feel. They don't care about boundaries and reasoning and logic. They don't care. They just feel. And then mm. we try and apply logic to it, which then causes confusion and self-doubt and concern and all these different things, you know. And I think you're absolutely right. I never thought of it like that, that, you know, we do. We follow a, a very science-based approach to psychology now. If you do A, B, and C, this is what will happen. Uh, and then you say, well, I did a, B and C and it didn't work. Well, you did it wrong <laughs> mm-hmm. or you're, you're something wrong with you, you know, you know, you know, it's not, it's not something wrong with me. It's just that this emotion needs to be processed so quite a lot of the time. You know, I work with people that are, are str- sort of bouncing between primary and secondary emotions and they're trying to process a secondary emotion. And I'm like, well, hang on a minute. That emotion is a, is, is an emotion about an emotion. Mm. But actually, we want to get to the emotion about the event because that can be processed. The emotion about the emotion is secular. It's just going to keep you going around in circles. And then you're going to keep piling on blame every time you get to a certain point and going, oh, it must be my fault. I'm doing it wrong. (laughs) And it's like, no, I'm not doing it wrong. I'm just not processing the right emotion. You know, like if you're angry, um, anger can be a primary and secondary emotion. But if it's a secondary emotion, then you're what are you angry about? Well, I'm angry because. I found myself feeling really inadequate in this situation. Now, most, I'm just going to say bloats because that's what we are, but most blokes don't want to go anywhere near inadequacy. No, thanks. <laughs> no, thanks. I'm going to go with uh, angry instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> because I could yeah. do that and I'm all right with that, you know? So I think you're right. You know, we're not, we, we, we try to make sense of, of something that's not supposed to be made sense of. You're supposed to feel it. You're supposed to go through the emotion. If you, there's a doctor named Dr. Sebi. He was a natural uh, health doctor, uh, alternative health doctor. Okay. And he says that the body is a master machine. It knows exactly what to do. It's only when we intervene that problems start to occur. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And it's like, if, if you just have the emotion, listen to the message and kind of do what your body is trying to get you to do. You'd be surprised how quickly you'll get through it. And this is the other part of it is that people want it to be a pleasant experience. It's not going to be. Change is horrible a lot of the time, you know? And it's like, it's that expectation of, oh, it's supposed to be nice. Well, no, it's not. You know, I learned that on a mountain recently. I went up to Mount Tupcow, got altitude oh, sickness. cool,
1: man, I was on that last November. <laughs> oh, was you?
0: Yeah, dude, I got altitude sickness. It was horrendous. Mm. Uh, I've never had that before. Um, I couldn't tell the difference between a stomachache and a headache. I'd never felt like that before. Oh, no. And I got to this moment on the hill where... um. Oh, the podcast listeners would be so bored of the story. They're like, oh, here he goes again. <laughs> I feel like the guy from uh, Only Fools and Horses during the war. <laughs> but but like, uh, yeah, he said to me, right, Johnny, come on up or down. And that moment felt like an hour, you know, am I going to the top or am I going to the bottom? I was feeling awful. But I said to myself, I didn't come to Morocco to, to go back down again. I'm going to the top. And then the strange thing happened. Once I'd made that decision, there was no doubt anymore. No one could change my mind. Uh, there was, it was, it wasn't. And, and what else that happened was I accepted that this is going to be hard. No mm. more. Oh, this is going to be a beautiful walk. And all the expectations I had, I accepted that it was three steps and stop. It was horrendous. But I got to the top and I just burst into tears. Um, nice. I was just so emotional because I think when you do hard things, it forces your body and your mind to work together. Yeah. That's- that's why I think it does. I think your body and your mind work together finally. It's like my two sons, right? They fight all the time. But when they won at McDonald's, ooh, they're best friends. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I'm grateful for that point. That's a really good point about, you know, what psychology is. It is about soul work. But, you know, there's no science attached to that, I don't think. Um, how are you doing for time? Are you all right for another question or two? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so could... We spoke about earlier, but I want to talk about getting honest with yourself. Um, I've been helping people get over stuff and move forward and change for about 15 years. And I think it's one of the hardest things you can do. Mm. It's one of the hardest things to do for the reasons I just explained. But in my opinion, that process doesn't start in a person, not really, until you stop resisting the things that you don't want to be true and start becoming open to acceptance or acceptance of the situation and when I say acceptance I don't mean you're like oh that's just the way it is I mean you're accepting it for what it is you're not trying to change it to accept it you're just accepting it because strange thing happens I feel it's so once you accept something you own it and when you own it you can change it <laughs> yeah you know, so how important do you think based off of your own experiences and what you've seen do you think it is to be honest with yourself
1: yeah it's essential um Anthony DeMello is one of my favorite teachers. He was a Jesuit priest, um, that spoke about spirituality. So when he died, the church didn't really know what to do with him because he spent his life telling people look within. Um, but he has a quote that says what you're aware of, you're in control of, and what you're not aware of is in control of you. So what you're aware of, you're in control of what you're not aware of is in control of you. And so, as you say, you know, I, I talk a lot about shadow work, which is about Taking the parts of ourselves that feel a bit icky and we want to hide from the world and rather than hiding them, hold them out in front of us like this. So for example, you know, part of my shadow is I want to be, I want to impress people with my achievements. And that's, that's just like this, this kind of murky energy of a way that I, I, I can pretend that's not true and hide it or I can hold it here. And it's much more valuable for me to hold it here and be honest with myself about that's a way I trip myself up. So. Um, you know, we've mentioned drinking as an example, you know, drinking might be part of my shadow. So yeah, I think that honesty is, there's the idea of the power of positive thinking and the power of negative thinking. And, you know, you mentioned climbing mountains there. If we go and climb a mountain and we wake up in the morning and we look up to the summit and we say, oh, the weather's good. We should be good to go. We don't need to bring anything with us. And then we start climbing and suddenly a storm comes in, we're in trouble. And so we wake up and we look, we say, oh, it's looking good, but we better bring supplies just in case. And for me, it's kind of the same thing that it's great to think, you know, think positive, think for the best, all this kind of stuff. But I think it's important also to be honest with yourself. So using a fitness example, if I'm going to join the gym this year, it's probably worth me being honest about the fact the last five years I've joined the gym, I've quit after a month because if I'm honest about it, I can reflect on it, I can learn from it. But if I just rely on motivation and all oh, everything's good this year, it's, it's different. So yeah, the self-honesty is, is huge. Um, because I guess also when we hide parts of ourselves from ourselves, it's like, it's kind of a sort form of self-loathing. It's kind of like, I don't accept myself because I don't accept these parts of myself. Whereas if I can bring it up and I can say, okay, there's parts of me that are a bit narcissistic. There's parts of me that are a bit judgmental. There's parts of me that are a little bit addictive. There's parts of me. Okay. I want to work on these parts. So I'm going to work with them rather than, you know, banished Ooh. them to this is one of my teachers talk about the basement you know we banished these parents to the basement and they're like the angry child down in the basement that's <laughs> turning into a monster you know yeah
0: yeah and i think like what you just said there is is so true like in a it's like i was reading a book recently where they were, it was about change and they were saying that you can weaponize laziness and i loved it because it's like laziness is is the enemy right it's the enemy of change it's, it's the enemy it's procrastination it's lack of motivation it's all that or is that laziness just that you've become really good at this <laughs> which is sitting and playing the xbox or whatever you know um and i think that's i think you're you know there those those sort of things that we demonize if we look at them in a different light and we ask ourselves you know like what's going on there what am i motivated to do i think you can weaponize them i think you can take them and, and make them the tool.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know if it's the same kind of line of thinking, but procrastination is an example. If I can get curious about procrastination, Mm. I always, I always have this thing of like, ask, what is it giving you? So whether that's Mm. an addictive tendency or it's a pattern. So, oh, I procrastinate all the time. Okay. What does procrastination give you? And maybe it gives you, well, I'm fearful of actually putting something out there. So it keeps me safe in that regard. Maybe I procrastinate because the task is too easy. But if I leave until the last minute, then it gives me a sense of urgency. And then I actually have to work on it, which is yes. common for some of us, I think, because yeah, yeah. we, we all chase addictive flow states. And the way to get in flow is to have a level of challenge. But if the thing is easy, there's no challenge. And so it's boring. Um, so everything's given us something. And that's the key, I think, is looking at ourselves through a compassionate lens. So find the stickiest, most ugly part of you and ask yourself, like, what's the value of this? What's the beauty in this? What's the potential in this? What can I learn from this? Like all those kind of questions can be really useful. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just, it's just challenging those thoughts. And, and when I say challenging them not to be wrong or right, but just to, to learn, to understand. Yeah. And like you say, compassion, I think is the ultimate weapon in change is compassion. If you can look at a situation without judgment, without labeling and just go, okay, what's actually happening here? You know, what's actually happening in this situation and you start to be a bit more factual about it, then mm. I think there's a lot of value in, in everything we do, you know. Um, yeah, lovely. Great answer, man. Yeah. I mean, getting honest with yourself is hard. It's not easy. That's the bit I want to say is that yes, we say get honest with yourself. But then I've I've met people that will sell themselves a lie um under the guise of it being honesty, but it's not, you know, like I had a friend who could see me really well and she'd say, you know, Johnny, you tell people just enough so that they don't ask any more questions. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I, I take, it, I make out like I'm really open and really honest about who I am and what I am and all of my experiences. But there's, a, there's parts of my childhood, there's parts of the things that happened to me as a kid, and I'm writing a book at the moment, and it's been very stirring for me because I, and I don't know whether all of it will make it to print or not, but. You know, I, I I found myself writing about some of those childhood experiences and reliving those childhood experiences and a lot of horrible things happened. Mm. And I remember being in certain domestic violence talks I've done and things like that. And I'm watching people's eyes to see whether they can handle what I'm about to say, because especially if you've got a room full of mothers, when you're talking about something happening to a five year old, that's not easy to hear. And I don't know if they always need to hear it, you know. Mm. So there's, mm. there's honesty, but it's more about being honest with yourself. I think, you know, because if you build, if you're honest with yourself, you can build upon that honesty and you'll, you know, I think I heard once that if the pyramid blocks at the bottom had been millimeters out, then it wouldn't have all come to a point at the top. Mm. And, and I think that's the same with the honesty. If you, if you lie to yourself, that's like them blocks being out of place. And then when you get to the top, you're like, well, why has this happened? Well, it's because you were lying to yourself at the bottom. You were telling yeah. yourself this and telling yourself that. And you know, it's not true, you know, but you it, again, it's that power is in that statement. I said just then of like, we lie to ourselves about the things we resist the things that we do not want to be true about ourselves, but they are, hmm. you know, and that's hard.
1: <laughs> I, was, I was only chatting to a friend yesterday and saying like, how lucky we are to have people in our lives that call us out a little bit. I, yeah. I actually call us out. there is a different language on that call us forward because they see a, they see a potential in us. And yeah, I had a funny one recently. What did someone say to me? They said, you realize you flirt to keep things on the surface mm-hmm. because if you remove the flirting, you have to go deeper and I was mm-hmm. like, Oh,
0: <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> nice to see you. Bye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, but it's so, uh, mm-hmm.
1: I, 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 I thought about, I shared this with a corporate client a while back. I said, think about feedback in in different levels and like the first level of feedback is i don't want to hear it like i don't i don't want to hear the second level of feedback is you say hey pat you you talk too much and i say okay okay i'm just gonna third level of feedback is actively going out and that's something i try to do at least once a year is like go to three or four of my close friends and send them a couple of questions say i really appreciate if you could take 10 minutes on this where am i good friend where do i fall short where do you see me out of integrity what are my biggest challenges that you see that i keep repeating And, and I, 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 send it to people that I know will push me. I don't send it to people who say, oh, you're a legend. You're, yeah. you're just <laughs> because I don't want that, <laughs> you know, um, and yeah, it comes back to what we were saying earlier about mirroring us being mirrors to each other, um, other people see our beauty. Other people also see where we're out of integrity. So it's just been open to that. I think.
0: Mate. You're so right. Uh, this has been a great conversation, but I'm sure you're a busy man and you've got lots to do. So I'm going to end with just one question. And that is that same question I ask everybody. And that is, is there anything that you'd like to pass on that could help people with their self-development?
1: Hmm. Well, maybe two tools. Uh, one is, uh it's a practice called morning pages, which some of your listeners might be familiar with and morning pages came from a book called the artist way. Actually, I'll just share this as a, a, one, one thing to pass on the artist way. So this lady was a, uh, an artist, um, but she, she was an alcoholic, I think as well. And then when she stopped drinking, she found the creativity disappeared and she got into a bit of a funk and she couldn't get her creative flow going. So she started this practice where every morning she'd write three fools cap pages. And it would just be stream of consciousness. So some she'd wake up and she'd say, oh, "I've nothing to write about." So she'd just write that. My mind is telling me I've nothing to write about, and then the next thought would come, and she'd just write that. And she'd just write for three pages, close the book, not reread it, nothing else. And this became the practice. And so I've had people with every type of traumatic background, you know, all all sorts of stuff, and doing this for three months every morning, take twenty minutes, write for three pages, just dump whatever's on your mind. And it's like turning on a dirty tap and it spits out the dirty water, and then you get to the clean stuff, so you're just emptying your mind in the morning. And that will help you to be honest with yourself because all your stuff will keep coming up like it'll just keep coming up. I'm not happy in my job, I'm not happy, whatever it might be, you know. So, the morning pages it's called that's a great practice worth looking at. And then, I suppose, one more is just um the power of breath, uh, look into. And um, functional breathing. Uh, we breathe, you know, the, the breath is the link between the body and mind. We talked a lot about body and mm. mind today. If you're not breathing well, and it's very simple stuff, but if you're not breathing well, you're putting yourself in a stress state all the time. And when you're in a stress state, your world is not going to look safe and you're, you're going to get caught in the cycle. So if you can improve your breathing, you'll improve your thinking. Um, so those are two, two, two tools, uh, morning pages and, and breath work.
0: I spoke to a breath work expert on the podcast and they said something really profound. They said, that the breath is the only essential function of the body that can be controlled. And yes. I was like, wow, I never thought of it like that, you know? Yeah. So it, it makes you, it makes you think, you know, cause it it sounds to me like it can control a lot of things in your body, your mood, your temperament, all those different things. So sure. good, great advice, man. Thank you. Um, just, just before you go, uh, what's next for you and where can people find you?
1: Um, I have been, getting quite into body work. So I, again, kind of an effort to look at uh, the body f- in terms of mental health. So I'm doing a lot of, uh, deep, uh, tissue body work for emotional release. So I'm just studying a lot of that. Um, I'm running a men's program in the next couple of months called the masculine leadership program. So that's masculine leadership and, uh, yeah, just doing corporate work and, and coaching and, uh, a bunch of other things, but, uh, is th- is the best place to find me.
0: Perfect. Pat. Uh, this has been, exactly as i thought and it turns out i have to say to all the listeners and all the people that have uh, pointed us together thank you you were right yeah, yeah.
1: yeah thank you I, I've, I've really enjoyed it it's been great yeah. man thank you me too thank you mate
0: so that's all from me for this episode thanks again to my podcast producer charlie from chatter podcast and i'll catch you next time for another episode of the self-development podcast